The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. What if the tales from the Old Testament and other ancient writings, such as those from Sumer, Babylon, Egypt, and Greece, were not myths or allegory, but accounts of actual historical events? Known for his ability to read and interpret ancient Sumerian and Akkadian clay tablets, Zacharias Sitchin, who lived from 1920 to 2010, took the words of our most ancient ancestors as fact, and through decades of meticulous research, showed that they revealed a coherent narrative about the true origins of humanity and civilization. Drawing both widespread interest and criticism, his Earth Chronicle series of books beginning with the Twelfth Planet, detailed how humanity arose after the arrival of the Anunnaki, alien gods who created modern man in their own image and imparted gifts of civilizing knowledge. This is a little bit different topic than we typically have on 1111 Talk Radio, yet it is a topic that I want to expose you to, expand your mind to, and allow you to see what you feel about it, expand your belief systems, and really question a lot of the things that you've come to term as your beliefs. My guest today is Jen, and she had the honor and unique experience of growing up amid the incredible knowledge and fascinating theories of her uncle, Zachariah Sitchin. His scholarly approach and adventurous spirit captured her imagination from a young age, drawing her into a world of ancient civilizations and human origins. She served as one of Zachariah's lecture assistants from 1995 onward. And she's been the webmaster for the official website of Zachariah Sitchin, www.sitchin.com, that's S-I-T-C-H-I-N, since 2000. And she has edited and released the book, The Anunnaki Chronicles, a Zachariah Sitchin reader. It includes never-before-published writings, and I want to do an exploratory beginner type of conversation on this topic so that you can have an understanding something other than perhaps what you've come to believe, so that you can then decide if you want to delve a little bit deeper into the work of Zachariah Sitchin and into the work of something beyond what a majority of the planet believes currently. Welcome, Janet, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. I am familiar with um, the stories of the Anunnaki and Nibiru and, and different things from a variety of places, and Zechariah Sitchin is most profoundly, um, literally the father of who came out with this information and really provided concrete research and evidence. I would like for you to tell the audience a little bit about your uncle, what really spurred him on to bringing out this information and really ground it in the fact that there is quite a bit of scientific research behind it. Um, 
when he was a child, and he grew up in, in Tel Aviv, and it was under the British mandate at that time. So I think he was studying the Bible. I don't know if it was in Hebrew or in English. Um, but he was in a, a class that was studying the Bible as history. And in Genesis 6, there is um, there are a number of very enigmatic statements, but there's one in particular that kind of stands by itself. It doesn't have much explanation. It just says, and there were giants upon the earth then and also afterwards. And the word giant that's translated into English as giant, is the word Nephilim. And knowing Hebrew root words is very important in understanding the language, especially understanding modern Hebrew. But uh, my uncle asked, well, why do they translate this word as giants when Nephilim comes from the root word nephal, and that means to fall or to come down? And instead of the teacher praising him for knowing his Hebrew root words, which is kind of what he expected, uh, he was told, this is the Bible, sit down, shut up, we don't question it. So he was devastated by this. And it sparked the, the beginning of looking at, at, you know, who are these Nephilim? The paragraph right before it in Genesis uh, says that the sons of God saw the daughters of man, that they were fair, and they took them unto themselves as wives as they chose and came into them, and the men, the offspring were the men of renown. So who, this is also pretty enigmatic, who are the sons of God as different from the daughters of man? And so these things that were in, first of all, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, sparked his interest, and he started exploring who are the Nephilim, why, um, why in so many places in the Bible is God um, plural in the Hebrew? It's Elohim instead of Eloheinu, so that it's the God said this and not God said this. So he started exploring that, and he, he learned to read the Akkadian and Sumerian cuneiform, they're Semitic languages like Hebrew, so he found them um, pretty easy to learn. And um, the Egyptian, and, and looked at ancient documents from um, uh, multiple sources and cultures, uh, mostly Middle Eastern, but also expanding upon that some. And what he found is if he looked at the stories and said, you know, what if they're not metaphor and simile and hyperbole and myth and legend? What if they're history? So this was his premise and, um, and the basis of his research, and it was really a lifelong passion and research uh, based on this spark of what happened when he was a child. And there's, there's quite a bit of research, and if we look back, we see, and throughout the book, there are many images that illustrate that these beings that came down, they're drawn, they're depicted, they're written about in many different places. Um, Samaria, which is the cradle of civilization, this is the part that's known as Iraq, which is between the Tigris and Euphrates River. That's where the first schools or first courts or first written language, all these things began. And in the Sumerian documents, they talk about everything that they learned from a people called the Anunnaki. And so it, the Anunnaki are the the beings that came down. These are the great uh, gods or the, the giants that he speaks of. Yes. So Anunnaki in Sumerian means those who from heaven to earth came. And um, 
the Anunnaki, we, we look like them. They, um, we may talk about this a little more, but they, they genetically engineered man, and we look like them. They, they took the hominids that were already developing on Earth and mixed their own DNA um, to create man as an intelligent worker. They, when they came here, they wanted to mine gold. They needed gold to repair their atmosphere, and it was a lot of work. So they decided that they would prefer to have an intelligent worker and not have to do it themselves. So they were um, experimenting in genetic engineering and didn't really have success until they moved, used their own DNA. So we look like them, or they look like us, if you want to look at it that way, except that they're taller than us. They're about 7 to 10 feet tall, and we're about 4 to 7 feet tall. So... Um, and even seven feet is pretty exaggerated, but but that's basically so they're they're quite a bit taller than us. So to us they're giants, which might have been one of the reasons for the translation. And um, the Sumerians call them the Anunnaki, uh, those who from heaven to earth came. But um, in further research, my my uncle found that the name of their planet is Nibiru. So you can also think of them as being Nibirans, <laughs> but um, and also Nephilim if you want to call them Nephilim, uh, which is what the the Hebrew Bible originally called them. So when we look at some of these places like uh, Peru, where where we have these huge architectural feats that are just incredible that man could have even created, or we look at Mayan civilization or different places upon the planet where steps up a building are two and three feet high, it, it kind of indicates that whatever beings were able to climb such steps or lift such stones and boulders would have had to have been larger or bigger than man. And so do, do the illustrations also show that the Anunnaki lived side by side with us at one time, or did they just come and blend their DNA with us and create the beings, and then somehow um, those structures were, were also built. Um, they were here for quite some time without us. Um, many of those uh, monuments and uh, temples were built as either some sort of tribute to, to those particular Anunnaki who um, we could also call God with a small g. So if we talk about the Anunnaki gods, um, there were different cities, particularly in the Middle East, uh, in Sumeria, that were kind of tribute cities to particular ones of the Anunnaki, and they had te- specific temples. There are stories of the Anunnaki um, kind of leaving that area and and going west, and um, my uncle believes that they came to the Americas and they also found a lot of gold here. Um, and um, many of the items um, that are, are found in um, in those ancient sites, he thinks, were used for for smelting gold. And um, and certainly there there was a presence in the Americas, and even Quetzalcoatl, who the Aztecs believed would return, and when the Spanish conquistadors went to the Americas and they were welcomed so nicely by the Aztecs, it's because they thought it was Quetzalcoatl returning, and my uncle believes that Quetzalcoatl was one of the Anunnaki gods. 
So someone hearing this kind of information, if they are the type that have been very grounded in their religion or came from a religion, or even if they've moved into a place of spirituality where they're now uh, embracing, let's say, interfaith, or um, or, or even choosing to believe that, that they truly are God beingness within themselves, where's the bridge between those philosophies and this understanding of okay, there could have been these alien beings that came to this planet, and we are really a part of that family, and, and that's who we are the offspring of, that there, that there could possibly have been no genesis in the way that we believed, or there could be um, the evolution that we bought into scientifically also uh, is not fully correct. How do we bridge that for people that are, that, whose heads might be spinning in this moment? Um, well, one of the things is that the Anunnaki themselves believed in a creator of all. So they believed in a supreme being, in a god, with a with a large G. So if um, and and my uncle felt um, who who and he was a, a religious and and believed and and really believed that um, uh, you know we're Jewish, so we're not really looking at at the New Testament so much. But he really believed that the Old Testament was true. The, the What's written there is, is history, because there's so much that's been corroborated, cities that, that are mentioned there that, that have been found where, where they said they were, and uh, in other items there. So he really believes in the veracity of that. Um, so he looked at it as the Anunnaki were basically the emissaries of of the creator of all. So if we want to believe in a supreme being in in God Almighty, that is probably the Anunnaki's creator of all. And many of the voices that we might hear in the Old Testament, and we say they're God, um, might be the Anunnaki, but they're acting on God's behalf. So if you consider even in this life, without considering Anunnaki, that even though we have free will, we're still acting in a master plan that God has for us. So for those that are spiritual or religious, many uh, feel that that's true. So if we're part of a master plan, then so were the Anunnaki. And even if they were the ones who um, created us with genetic engineering, they were doing it on God's behalf. So it, my uncle didn't feel that it contradicted each other. Very good. Zachariah Sitchin was a reporter writing the story of the Anunnaki as recorded by ancient people. As a result, he went on to author 14 nonfiction volumes on the subject of ancient civilizations, the first of which was The Twelfth Planet, published in 1976. In, in this book that is edited by Janet Sitchin, entitled The Anunnaki Chronicles, you are given an insider's look into the decades of research behind Zachariah Sitchin's complete works, as well as an in-depth overview of his theories. This collection includes carefully selected chapters from the Earth Chronicle series, as well as never-before-published letters, articles, and lectures. We learn about the genesis of the 12th planet in the book as a story, the Sumerians and their Anunnaki influences in the sudden civilization, the orbit of Nibiru in UFOs, pyramids, and the 12th planet, the prehistory of the Americas in cities lost and found, the extraterrestrial origins of modern man in the cosmic connection DNA, and much more. 
we get to see never-before-published lectures, calls from Sitchin's decades of presentations, as well as the article that spurred the writing of Where There Were Giants Upon the Earth. You can find out more about this at www.sitchin.com, and you can find the book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. We'll be right back with Janet Sitchin. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I'm Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox, lose unhealthy weight, and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. 
Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at imsimmerings.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Samaria is known by historians as the cradle of civilization. This land that is now Iraq lays between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. As the story begins there in many Sumerian documents, they tell us everything that they knew and learned from the Anunnaki. Much of the information was known to ancient mankind and documented in drawings, cylinder seals, or oral knowledge. Stitchin's book series, The Earth Chronicles, and many companion volumes to the series detail ancient information about the Anunnaki and creates a coherent narrative about them. Who were they? Why did they come here? What did they do while they were here? Sitchin uses the evidence they left behind and the ancient people, the Sumerians, left behind to answer these and related questions. This particular book, the Anunnaki Chronicles, attempts to provide an overview of the information provided in the seven volumes of the Earth Chronicles and includes, for the first time, lectures, articles, letters, and other works by Zachariah Sitchin that have never been published in book form before. You can find out more about Zachariah Sitchin and this book that is edited by Janet Sitchin at www.sitchin.com. That's S-I-T-C-H-I-N. Welcome back, Janet. As we move further into the book, it, it really examines the Sumerian culture in detail. And it, it talks about how this fully formed civilization that kind of sprung up from nowhere started to really um, amplify the, the needs and the uses of the Anunnaki and the stories that we, that Zachariah Sitchin was able to then provide us ample proof that these other beings were there. What were some of the, the most detailed pieces of proof that help us to really ground in the fact that this DNA was blended and that we are an emerging civilization from something um, that far back and that great and from another planet? Um, as far as the most detailed, it's hard to, to say exactly, um, but there, there's, a, there's the stories that the Sumerians left on all kinds of clay tablets and scrolls and um, not just in one culture, but in, in various cultures around uh, the region, and even some some stories that are shared around the world. If you look at the, the stories of the biblical deluge, um, that there's, there's stories around the world about that. In the Americas, they talk about um, a flood, and in, in the Sumerian culture, they talk about a flood. So um, it, it's not just in one particular area where this is discussed. Um, so the fact that it's in so many different places, the same story, the same characters, um, if you look at the pantheon of Greek gods and Roman gods and Sumerian gods and Akkadian gods, and uh, they all have similar characters with similar personality traits and even similar kinds of um, signs to depict them. They may have different names, but you can really see that they are the same personality. They're the same person. And there are so many stories in these writings about 
these particular characters and what happens to them while they're here, a little bit of the story before they came, um, their interactions with each other, their jealousies, their infighting. You know, they they had a, a, a much more advanced technology than ours, um, and even ours today, although we're discovering some things or rediscovering some things along the way. But they had a very advanced technology, but they also had all the human foibles that we have. They had love, they had jealousy, they had um, envy, they, you know, good things and bad things uh, as far as human traits. So um, all these stories about them and that there's so many different stories and corroborating stories, I think, is one of the the biggest proofs. Um, there's a lot of physical evidence besides the stories. There are these tiny um, clay, actually not always clay, they're, they're um, typically stone, sometimes semi-precious stones that are engraved, and they're called cylinder seals. And they have engraved in reverse an image that when you roll it onto clay, onto your tablet, it creates a, a picture. And people use these cylinder seals kind of as their their mark. You know, if they wrote a, a tablet, they would uh, roll it on the tablet to say that it was theirs. And some of these are, are very small, and but the drawings on them are very intricate. And there are cylinder seals. There's one particular one that's in um, a museum in Berlin that has a constellation with the sun and the moon and ten objects revolving around the sun. Now, it was very controversial when Galileo decided to, you know, said that we uh, orbit the sun and not everything orbiting us. Um, so you can imagine that the Sumerians knowing this um, thousands of years ago and being able to draw it on a cylinder seal is pretty unusual. Um, that they knew about the planets and their relative sizes and positions and even that they orbit the sun instead of the other way around. Um, and they did have 10 planets. It included Pluto and it included this additional planet um, that is known as Nibiru. So, so these this, kinds this of things Nibiru, are really compelling. The 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 planet known as Nibiru... That is the one that is called the twelfth planet, and there's um, there's been research to illustrate a, a planet being discovered now. Is that is that? Do you think that's part of more of the the confirmation of what this is? Could that be Nibiru, or is Nibiru a place that's much further in a different galaxy? Um, it, it's part of our galaxy, um, it, although the uh, Sumerian creation tell that's called the Enuma Elish, um, which are the first two words of the the first tablets, um, they talk about this planet being pulled into um, to our galaxy, or actually not our galaxy, our solar system, from another solar system by some of the pull of the outer planets, the, the large um, planets at the end of the solar system. So this um, planet got drawn in sort of as an invader into our solar system, um, and they talk about the birth of the other planets, and um, they name them and call them gods with a, G, a small g, um, and name each of the planets, and and how they collided with each other. And um, basically, uh, Nibiru 
collided with Earth or with a planet that used to be Earth. It's where actually it was called Tiamat, and Tiamat collided with uh, Nibiru once or twice in prehistory and exchanged some genetic material. It also, the, the second time of the collision, it broke our planet into basically into pieces. So we have one large piece that was about half the size of the original planet, and the other parts of the, uh, the planet ended up breaking up as debris, and it moved Earth into a different orbit. So um, the other components uh, that used to be Tiamat are part of the asteroid belt. And then what's left is, is Earth. And if you actually looked at a picture of Earth with no water, it looks like um, kind of a half of a sphere, you know, a broken piece of, um, you know, so you can imagine it as being only a part of what was originally there as a planet. And the water is what makes it a spherical at this point. Um, you know, there's a big gash that's the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so looking at these creation tales, that's, that's how it formed uh, and how the planets formed and brought in this additional planet in our solar system. Nibiru has an elliptical orbit that's about 3,600 years long. So 3,600 of our years is one year on Nibiru, the one rotation around the sun. And it is, uh, it rotates clockwise, which most of the planets in our solar system rotate counterclockwise. Um, it's a very similar kind of orbit, although longer, um, and it is probably in the same ecliptic as Halley's Comet. So it's not in the same plane as the other planets in our solar system rotate. So it's very difficult to find it because it's, um, it's very far away most of the time, and it's not um, where we're looking for the other planets. It usually, when it comes close to Earth, comes from the south. So we would start seeing it in the southern sky, and then it would move move northward as it comes closer. So um, this other planet that um, the evidence is showing that there's probably a planet in that location also has an elliptical orbit, but right now they're estimating that the orbit is, um, is quite a bit larger than Nibiru's. Nibiru's, again, is 3,600 years, and they think that this planet's orbit is about 10,000 or 20,000 years. It's also uh, an elliptical orbit. It's also at a different ecliptic um, from our planets, but um, it's it's too soon to tell whether this is Nibiru or maybe there's some. Um, they haven't actually found the planet. What they found are uh, evidence that there's a large body impacting other bodies that they can see, and that's why they're conjecturing that there's another planet in our solar system. So I think the search for that planet will help potentially find Nibiru, even if it's not Nibiru. Hopefully, the search for that planet will help us find Nibiru. And the, the fact that people are willing to consider another large body in our solar system that we haven't seen yet is also um, a positive that will help with the search for Nibiru. Yes, and as, as we look at that, as we look at um, possibilities of other planets being there and and the growing understanding that we can't possibly be the only ones um, that exist on a planet in all the this solar system in galaxy, much less other ones. Why are there not further 
uh, indications of the Anunnaki. Where did where did they go? Why is it just that in the ancient history and textual writings, and and they needed the gold then? Was there anything in the research that Zachariah did that indicated where they went and and whether we completed our task for them and they just left or or they've still been helping us all along, but just in a different way? Um, my uncle felt that they left, um, and the exact reasons why they left I'm not certain about. Um, but they were here for a very long time, in our time. But if you think about it in their time frame, they were not. They, they haven't been gone that long. <laughs> they, they've been gone less than a year of their time. Uh, because they were probably here somewhere um, around uh, 400 BC, or maybe you know, at least up until around that time, maybe a little longer. Um, so for us, they've for 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 us, they've been gone a long time. For them, they've been gone less than a year. So they've been gone a few months. You know, so that you know, um, my uncle felt that they, when they were active here especially when they were moving gold um, to their atmosphere. They were moving things to Mars, moving shipments of gold to Mars, because the lower atmosphere of Mars made it easier to take off with heavy loads, a a larger load of gold back to their planet, Um, and also to kind of be a way station to, um, to move things back and forth. So he felt that they had a presence on Mars, and some of the... Um, pictures from Mars that look like cities or, you know, ruins of cities that they could very well, and the face on Mars could very well be from the time that they were here, that they built structures and needed them. So maybe they're on Mars. Um, There was an interesting thing that happened a long time ago. I think it was in the 70s with the Phobos rocket that was uh, planning to take pictures of of Mars and and its moon Phobos, and uh, it started to take a few pictures, and then something happened, and it stopped working. So it, it's a, it, the event seemed like maybe something was fired at it, and it you know stopped it from from broadcasting anything. So whether that was really what happened, or it's just conjecture, it's hard to know, but. Um, Perhaps they were on Mars at that point in time and didn't want us to know about it. So they didn't really want us to take pictures, so they destroyed the, the camera. It's really the hard puzzle. to know if, if that's what was going on at that time, but, but it's possible that they were there at that point. The puzzles of our solar system, the oceanic cavities upon Earth, the devastation upon the moon, the reverse orbits of the comets, the enigmatic phenomena of Pluto, all are perfectly answered by the Mesopotamian creation epic as deciphered by us. Having thus constructed the stations for the planets, Marduk took for himself station Nibiru and crossed the heavens and surveyed the new solar system. It was now made up of 12 celestial bodies with the 12 great gods as their counterparts. A large part of the puzzle of the Anunnaki concerns their home planet Nibiru. The orbit of Nibiru is often difficult to understand, given that it differs from the planets we are more familiar with in our solar system. And although Nibiru is unusual in comparison to these other planets, it's not unique in its elliptical orbit or retrograde direction. Recent scientific discoveries, even since the publication of the 12th planet in 1976, 
have supported many of the conclusions that Sitchin has made about this enigmatic body home to the ancient visitors to Earth. This is from the Anunnaki Chronicles, edited by Janet Sitchin, portraying the life and work of Zachariah Sitchin. Each piece includes an introduction by Sitchin's niece, often offering context and insight into Sitchin's passionate work. These introductions reveal the man behind the theories, a world traveler known for his scholarship, dry humor, and precisely chosen words. If his theories are true, as Sitchin wholeheartedly believes, then this collection presents some of the most important knowledge we have of our origins and the future. You can find out more at www.sitchin.com. That's S-I-T-C-H-I-N. We'll be right back with Janet Sitchin and the Anunnaki. Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at IamSimran.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I am Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent a part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. 
By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great. Have more energy. Sleep better. Gently detox. Lose unhealthy weight and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. What if the tales from the Old Testament and other ancient writings, such as those from Sumer, Babylon, Egypt, and Greece, were not myths or allegory, but accounts of actual historical events? Known for his ability to read and interpret ancient Sumerian and Akkadian clay tablets, Zechariah Sitchin took the words of our most ancient ancestors as fact, and through the decades of meticulous research showed that they revealed a coherent narrative about the true origins of humanity and civilization. Drawing both widespread interest and criticism, his Earth Chronicle series of books, beginning with the Twelfth Planet, detail how humanity arose after the arrival of the Anunnaki alien gods who created modern man in their own image and imparted gifts of civilizing knowledge. I have as my guest Janet Sitchin, who has edited the book, The Anunnaki Chronicles. She's the niece of Zachariah Sitchin and has served as her uncle's lecture assistant at his many seminars and is the webmaster for Sitchin.com. Welcome back, Janet. As we look through in terms of the DNA and how the DNA was blended, there's so much research in terms of how our own DNA is not at its full capacity and is changing in, on its own as we evolve as beings. And so in, in the research that Zechariah did, in looking at how the Anunnaki would take the women to blend that DNA and create this new being, was there any research to show, did, did it upgrade our DNA? Did it... Did it alter it to what it was, and are we? You think we're evolving back to to who we were? What are the changes, in your opinion, that are taking place in DNA now, as opposed to what was done in that ancient time where they blended it? Well, the, the original um, DNA. If you if you look at when the Anunnaki came to Earth, there were hominids that had developed here. Life uh, evolved faster on Nibiru than it did here and advanced much faster. So by the time they came, they were much more advanced than the beings here on Earth. But there were hominids here that we were developing. As I mentioned before, genetic material was exchanged between the planets during those early collisions. So um, in that section of Genesis 6 that I mentioned earlier, the word um, that uh, that said, you know, the sons of God saw the daughters of man, that they were fair. The word fair in Hebrew also has a connotation that means compatible. And one of the reasons that my uncle always wanted to be able to read the source language of whatever material he was using as evidence for all of this was because he wanted to be able to understand nuances of meaning. 
so that when you see a translation that says fair, that doesn't mean anything about compatible. And my uncle thought that the compatible might actually mean genetically compatible. And it does talk right after that uh, that they they had sex and they created offspring. So they were able to procreate, which was critical. The early... um, uh, uh, the early Adam or man that the Anunnaki created uh, was uh, using the beings that were here on Earth already, and they tried some genetic engineering uh, to create an intelligent worker, but it didn't really work so well until they mixed their own DNA. So, if you want to think about the Adam, the more um, aware man, human beings. That came about because they mixed their own DNA. So being a hybrid of Anunnaki and uh, the beings that were already here on Earth elevated us in general. And when it talks in, in the Old Testament in the section right after it talks about the men of renown in that same section again, um, it talks about their lifespans. It talks about the generations of man, uh, how long they lived. And there are many that lived... Uh, 900 years, a 1,000 years that it, it mentions right at that point. So there were very long lifespans initially. Um, we, and those were um, mostly the ones that were mixed, not, not only that they had the Anunnaki DNA in them, but they were also offspring of a sexual relationship between an Anunnaki and, and man. So they had more of the Anunnaki DNA in them, and um, th- this may have made a difference in those lifespans. So over time, our lifespan has gotten shorter. Um, the Anunnakis that were on Earth for a long time, their lifespan was also shortened. They, they had special foods that they had to eat um, in order to maintain that. And, and this is part of what my uncle feels like the tree of knowledge and the tree of, of uh, life what these were, that, that those two trees in the Garden of Eden were forbidden. The tree of knowledge gave us the ability to procreate on our own. Initially, we were not able to pro- procreate. If um, a human man and a human woman had uh, relations, they were not able to have children based on that and procreate. They, they were sterile. Um, now, it turned out that the human women were able to procreate with Anunnaki men. So... When we were given the ability to procreate, which is what happened with the, in eating from the tree of knowledge, or, or we were given that, um, that modification to our DNA that allowed us to procreate, then we were able to go forth and, and multiply. Before that time, we, we weren't. What's been withheld from us um, even today is the longevity, the, the fruit of the tree of life. So um, my uncle feels, and in his book, There Were Giants Upon the Earth, which is one of the last ones that he published before he passed away, um, he talks about one of the Anunnaki who died on Earth. Most of them did not die on Earth, and, um, but there was one that, that the stories talk about her and that she died on Earth and she had a very large head. And he believes that there, there are bones that were found in Ur, um, of she's known as Nin Puabi or Queen Puabi. She's buried in very 
high pomp and, and circumstance with, with all kinds of, um, just compared to other rulers that, and kings and queens that were buried with many servants and beautiful garments and headdresses and jewels, she was even more so. So he calls her the goddess of Ur and believes that this is one of the Anunnaki that died there. And, and one of the things that he was trying to arrange for, and, and we're still working on it to some extent, was to have those bones tested for DNA and compared to the human genome to see if it's different. Our initial testing wasn't a good sample, and it didn't show differences. But I'm wondering if it didn't show differences because we're not different anymore, because we have their DNA in us. So I'm not sure about that, but, but they did have to maintain eating the right foods and visiting their planet every so often in order to maintain their longevity. So that's one thing that we didn't get. Now, other than that, we may very well have the same genes that we've had back then. There's quite a bit in the book about some of the different, what we see as mythologies, uh, different gods, and, and, and also you know, in regard to different, I guess, what you would call ascended masters now. Um, when we look at that, according to Zachariah's work and the way that I read this, it seems that those were the Anunnaki, that those were the gods of Anunnaki that, that actually procreated with humans. And so when we look at things around Thoth or Osiris or some of these different beings that some term as mythology and others term as, as gods, what, what, do you, what do you think that um, Zechariah was trying to really reveal? Because I know that there's some sects of people that speak about the Anunnaki as if they were, um, they really were a harsh and cruel type of being that were solely creating a slave race for their own good, um, that there was no compassion, and it was really to just create us as, as slaves. But in reading some of this and in hearing you talk, is that the case, or is it just that this was really, yes, that was part of it, they were trying to create something to get the gold and that sort of thing, but that there was a relationship that evolved and, and, and that we are the children of them, we are the offspring and the family of these beings in the one big family of life. I, I think um, there's a little bit of both. I don't think that they were particularly harsh and, and cruel and just trying to create um, slaves for themselves. They did, they did want us to do the heavy lifting because they didn't like to do it. And it was also, it's a little strange um, if you consider our time frame on our planet. I mean, for them, the, their time is so different from ours that it seems like the rotation of our planet is just kind of crazy. It's always like night and day and night and day. It's like every other second. It's, it's um, it, you know, the, um, there's darkness and there's light and, you know, because the time is just so different in our perspective versus their perspective of time. So I don't think that they were really um, just trying to be harsh taskmasters with us. Um, I think they're more benevolent than that. The two of the Anunnaki gods that were most involved in the genetic engineering felt very paternal. Um, so one of them is, is called Enki, and uh, his half-sister Ninhursag was the other one who uh, helped genetically engineer. And she was actually kind of the, the chief medical officer 
um, and her symbol, the entwined snakes, are still the symbol of medicine today. Um, mm. She was... Um, uh, the, the other... Enki is um, the god of water, and the trident and uh, pouring water and other things are some of his symbols. And he was also called Lord Earth. Um, and Ea is the name in, in Sumerian for Earth. So these are some of the names that, that he had. So the two of them particularly were very paternal and, um, and felt very strongly about the relationship they had with the Adam or with man. Um, one of the other brothers, these were um, the offspring of the, the ruler of Nibiru. And Enki was the oldest but he was not from the primary wife. He was from a con- the, the offspring from a concubine. So his younger brother, Enlil, was the one who was going to inherit um, the rulership. And um, Enki was, came to earth first, and then Enlil came and was, became lord of the command. And Enlil was a little bit more of a harsher personality and less tied to... Um, to the humans that were on Earth, and we really did. When once we started procreating, we um, we were very fruitful. There were lots of lots of us running around. There became problems. There, there were, one of the problems was that Anunnaki men found the the human women very attractive, and uh, you know that kind of undermined a lot of what was going on with their sexual attraction to the humans, and. Um, it really was a little bit troublesome, and they felt like maybe they created a little bit of a problem. So they they knew that the, that when one of the passes of Nibiru close to Earth was going to disrupt um, the uh, ice plates in uh, the Antarctic ice plates, and it shifted it and moved it into the ocean, and that was what caused the deluge. So at the time that they knew that that was happening, they were planning to get in their spaceships and leave, um, you know, at least go into orbit so that they wouldn't be on the planet and affected by it. And their plan, they had voted, and if you look at at the Bible and the discussion, um, it really says that the gods, you know, decided, you know, especially if you read it in Hebrew, it's the Elohim, um, decided not to tell man about the flood and to let man perish. So they knew that this natural disaster was coming, and they had agreed, not so much Enki, but they agreed that they were not going to tell man and they were going to let man die. Enki went against that agreement and told, um, in the... Middle Eastern tales, the, um, the hero is not Noah, but the Sudra, um, basically the same character. So he found a way to, to tell the Sudra how to build an ark and when to do it. And um, there weren't necessarily two of each animal, but there was the DNA for each animal that was preserved on the ark. So he did feel very paternal and wanted to protect man and didn't allow man to get destroyed at that time. So it's not just a very harsh um, and um, taskmaster kind of relationship. It definitely depended on which person you're talking about, 
but in general, it was more paternalistic. And then after after the flood, everybody, including Enlil, was pretty happy that man was still around and um, could be serving them food and, and other things at that point. Janet, I want to thank you for giving us this introduction into this work and for those that are not familiar with Zachariah Sitchin's to kind of give an understanding. Embracing Zachariah Sitchin's cosmology requires a belief in life on other planets and an acknowledgement of the fact that this extraterrestrial life has undoubtedly visited Earth in the past. To those who have not read Sitchin's books, this might seem a bit crazy. Our modern culture tends to dismiss the veracity of the UFO phenomenon as well as studies related to it. As a result, many people prefer to distance themselves from any discussion of extraterrestrial life and the possibilities that it entails. You have to wonder, though, are we really the only ones here? Are we really the only ones on the, in the galaxy, in the universe? Is there a greater plan? And what got us here in the first place? Until next time, I'm Simran. In love, of love, with love, and as love, be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.